With that said, uh, let me pray and ask for God's blessing. Actually, before I do that, before I pray, one more thing. Um, I want to explain our sermon series quickly. We're in a series called Restoring Sexual Sanity. Can you put the screen up? There we go. This kind of tells you where we're at in our series. Last week was week one, marriage. Uh, Today, week two, is singleness. And then the next week, masculinity, then femininity, then biblical sexuality, transgenderism, homosexuality, part one and part two, and then pornography. Why are we doing this series? Uh, Because our culture is incredibly confused on these issues, and the Word of God offers life and hope and peace, and when we do things God's way, it leads to human flourishing, and I want everyone here to flourish as a human being, and so this series will hopefully help all of us uh, in our journey in glorifying God. Okay, now with that in mind, now we can pray. Father, thank you so much for all your blessings to us. Father, thank you for those wonderful songs that we just sang. Father, we thank you for giving us so many reasons to sing. Lord, I pray now that as we talk about this important subject of singleness, that you would be honored. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, why in the world a talk on singleness this morning? There are 128 million singles in America over the age of 18. Everyone in this room at one point was single, and half of you will be single again at some point in the future when your spouse dies. Some of you are single, but not by choice. It's because you've been through a divorce. And many parents need help to know how to encourage their single adult children. At GCF, we love to trumpet the glories of marriage. Most of you will be married at some point in your lives, and we think marriage is wonderful. At the same time, the Bible describes singleness as a gift. So the Bible both upholds marriage and it upholds singleness. Now with that in mind, what exactly does the Bible say about singleness? Actually, it says a lot about singleness. So this morning, I want to simply point out five things the Bible says about singleness. Now, if you've been here a while, you know that we typically preach through books of the Bible, which is uh, what we do probably 90% of the time, but this series is more of a topical series. I'll be looking at lots of different texts this morning on what it means or what the Bible says about singleness. So what are those five things I want to highlight? First is simply this. Singles are not inferior. Why do I say this? Because our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was perfect, never married. He was single his whole life. Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus Christ was single and he was perfect, which means he had no inferiority at all in his life. And if he was not perfect, he would not be able to atone for our sins. But he was perfect He had no inferiorities, and he was single his whole life, and he lived a very God-glorifying and fulfilling life. Well, how else do we know that singleness is not inferior? A single person is a fully human person. What does it mean to be fully human? Increasingly, in our sex-crazed culture, people believe that unhindered sexual expression is what it means to be fully human. 
when nothing is further from the truth. One person writes this, a life of slavery to virginity would mean being only half human. We think our sexuality is part of our personhood, and not to enjoy it is to be an incomplete, or to be incomplete people. Again, Jesus was single. Jesus was a virgin, and he experienced a fully human existence. We do not become human by expressing our sexuality. We become human by imitating the perfect human, and that was Jesus Christ. Because of these unique truths found in the Bible about singleness, Christianity has transformed the world's perspective on what it means to be single. Tim Keller writes in his excellent book, uh, Stanley Hauerwas argues that Christianity was the very first religion that held up single adulthood as a viable way of life. Nearly all ancient religions and cultures made an absolute value of the family and of bearing of children. In ancient cultures, long-term single adults were considered to be living a human life that was less than fully realized. When Jesus came, that changed everything because he never married and he was the most perfect, fully human person to ever live. Our value or worth is not found in being married or our family or our children or our grandchildren. Our value and worth is found in knowing the triune God, which Jesus makes possible. If you're here this morning and you're single, you are not inferior to married couples. The Bible makes that very, very clear through the life of Jesus Christ. If our value is not found in being married, then singleness can be a gift, which brings us to the second point. So first, singles are not inferior, and second, singleness is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 7-7. Now, the context here is the Apostle Paul talking about being single. He says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Why does Paul say that being single is a gift from God? Because a single person has freedom to do what married couples often can't do. Like what? Well, he describes that for us in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35. He says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, Paul's not implying in these words that marriage is inferior, because in Ephesians 5, the apostle Paul clearly lays out the glory and the splendor and the beauty of married life. Well, then what's he saying? He's simply making the point that a single person can give undivided attention to the things of God and to service for Christ and his kingdom. For instance, a missionary in the Philippines writes these words. 
The first advantage of being single is that it's best adapted to perilous situations. In rugged life among primitive tribes, in gorilla-infested areas, or in disease and famine, the single man has only himself to worry about. The single lifestyle enables one to get the most out of the time God gives for this work. One of my chief delights is that I don't have to fit my ministry around my family schedule. I don't have to be home at a certain time each night. My time is the Filipino's time. Jesus also highlights the gift of singleness for this very reason. Matthew 19, verses 11 to 12, he says this, or Matthew writes this, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not saying here that certain people literally made themselves eunuchs. Although one guy in church history did that. His name is Origen, and he had a very, very confused perspective on temptation, gender, and sexuality. What Christ is saying here is that people, metaphorically speaking, have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of serving the kingdom of God um, in an undivided way. And this is a gift from God. And church history contains many examples of men and women who have done this. Some of my heroes are uh, John Stott, who was a British Anglican who wrote several books that I'd highly recommend. His whole life he was single, very intentionally so, so that he could devote himself wholeheartedly to writing and preaching and missions work. I think of J. Gresham Machem, uh, who was the founder of Westminster Seminary and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I just read his biography this summer. It's very, very good by Ned Stonehouse. J. Gresham Machen was able to devote tons and tons of time to founding two institutions and writing tons of books. I think of John Murray. I think of Amy Carmichael, the missionary to India. And the list goes on and on and on. I think of the Apostle Paul. I think of Jesus. One scholar argues in the last 150 years, literally thousands of missionaries were single, and many of them women, sacrificing marriage for the sake of the kingdom. Singleness is a gift from God because singles usually, ordinarily, have more time to devote to Christ and his kingdom. Now, at this point, some of you may be thinking, that may be a gift, but I don't want that gift. Okay, I get it. How do you know if you have the gift of singleness? Well, you are not burning with sexual passion. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and 9, the Apostle Paul says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Some of you are burning with sexual passion right now, and you want to get married in the worst way, but it's not working out. Your singleness is not a gift, it's a trial. And God knows, and God cares. And Jesus and the Apostle Paul understand. Here's the good news. The very spirit that dwelled inside of Jesus dwells inside of you. 
The Spirit of God, the maker of all things, is living inside of you if you're a Christian, and he will give you the grace and strength and restraint to honor God as a single and to be content as a single. In the meantime, ask God for a spouse. He loves to answer that prayer. If you're single, ask God to use your singleness right now for his glory. Yesterday, um, I helped my parents move up their moving trucks to move, uh, and several guys from my discipleship group who are single showed up. I'm so thankful because it was a lot of work, and they were there because they have extra time in their schedule to do things like that. So if you're single, use your free time, use your spare time to serve others in the church. Now, our culture has a very different perspective on singleness. In our culture, a lot of folks want to be single so they can make more money or so they're not tied down with a family or a spouse or so they can kind of play the field as long as possible or play video games as much as possible or live for self as long as possible. These are selfish desires. And if those are the reasons that you're single, you need to repent of of those selfish desires and pursue a spouse. But thankfully, that that does not describe many of you in this room. Dave, I'm still single, and I'm still struggling. What do I do? This brings us to the third point. So first, singles are not inferior. Second, singleness is a gift. And third, singles can be content. How do we know? Again, Jesus was single, and he was content his whole life. He experienced a life of flourishing and joy. But Dave, he was Jesus. He was perfect. I understand. But again, the same spirit resides inside of you if you're a Christian. The apostle Paul, who was not perfect, was also content in his singleness. How do we know? Philippians 4, 11 to 12 Paul says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, when you consider Paul's life, these are astonishing verses. The Apostle Paul is saying that in every situation he faced, He was content. Really, Paul? Every situation? Yes. He learned to be content when he was abandoned by his friends, when he was shipwrecked, when he was hungry, when he was beaten with rods, when he was stoned and left for dead, and when he was single. In all those situations, the Apostle Paul learned by the power of the Holy Spirit to be content. Well, how could Paul be content? Because Paul understood the sovereignty and goodness of God. The Apostle Paul penned these famous words, Romans 8, 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul knew that God was good, and proof of that was that God gave us his own son. And if God gave us his own son, God will withhold nothing good that he knows we need. If God knows you need a spouse right now, he'll give you one. He's good, and he's proven his goodness to us by sending his own son to be crucified in our place. 
Paige Brown, who is an author, strikes a good balance when she writes these words. Let's face it, singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs, but I want to be married. I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date because God is so good to me. God is good. And he gives all of us exactly what he knows we need to flourish as his image bearers. He's good. And proof of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, people often speculate why so-and-so is unmarried. Maybe it's because they're same-sex attracted. Maybe it's because they're just too darn picky. Maybe it's because they just have downloaded that, that, the most recent, latest and greatest dating app. Let me please spare you from speculating. That's none of your business if you're married. They're single because God is sovereign. That's why they're single right now. It's not our business to speculate and to judge in our own hearts. It's our job to love and serve our single friends in the church and pray for them and encourage them and not think we understand all their motives and their desires and their wants and their needs. God knows what is right and best so we can trust him and be content no matter what season of life we are in. Singles can be content if they know Jesus because Jesus plus nothing equals, equals everything. Do you and I really, really believe that? So many of us whether we're married or single, are guilty of the if-only syndrome. If only I were married. If only I had more kids. If only I had that new job or that new boat or that new house. If only my spouse would change. If only I could conquer this crippling depression. If only, if only. Whether you're married or single, we can be content because we have Jesus that's all we need. He's all we need. That's it. You're never going to be in a season of life where you have everything you want or think you need. And even the best marriages were not made to ultimately satisfy your soul. If you've been married for more than 30 seconds, you understand that. Jesus Relationship with God is what sustains us now and for all eternity. And sometimes being single requires tremendous courage. I know of two situations that I was very involved with where friends of mine were both engaged and last minute, I mean literally last minute, the wedding was called off. Because both couples knew, deep down inside, this is not right. That took courage. Now, both of them, many years later, have married others, and they're happily married. But it took courage to say, this person is not really going to help me honor and glorify God. So I'm going to break this off. Because marriage is a long time, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Make sure you marry the right person. And it takes courage sometimes to be single and recognize that. 
But here's good, some good news. Singles can still be part of a family, which brings us to the fourth point. Singles are not inferior. Singleness is a gift. Singles can be content. And fourth, singles can still have family. Matthew 12, 46 to 50, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. These are amazing words. Jesus is basically saying that ties between Christians, people that love Jesus and obey his commands, are stronger than ties between blood relatives. That's because these ties will last forever. That means that we are Christians first. I am not a Farley first or an American first or a Spokenite first or a North Spokenite first or a Seahawk fan first or a Coog first. Great game last night, by the way. I am a Christian first. You are a Christian first. If we are Christians, we are family, and our ties are far stronger than ties with our biological families. The most important thing about you is not your biological family. The most important thing about you is that you're a child of the risen and reigning king. That's the most important thing about you and about me, and this has so much application, but here's the thing. Singles, you may never be married. You may never have more biological family. But if you're a Christian, you have all the family you need. You have literally hundreds, thousands, millions of brothers and sisters and dads and moms in Jesus Christ. And if that's true, Married couples, invite singles into your lives. Have them into your homes. Invite them to your community groups. Singles, invite married couples into your homes. Many, many years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, several of the singles in the church were all living together, single guys, like four of them, and they invited my family with all of our kids over for dinner one night, and it was so sweet of them to invite us over with our gaggle of boys, they fed us. They entertained us. We had a great time. So next time you have a dinner party, if you're married, invite some singles over. If you're single, invite some married couples over. Find ways to be together now, for life is very short, which brings us to the final point. Singles are not inferior. Singles Singleness is a gift. Singles can be content. Singles can still have family and fifth and finally, everyone someday will be single again. Mark 12, 19 to 25. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you 
know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Jesus is saying that someday when we're in heaven, none of us will be married to other human beings. We'll all be single in one sense in heaven. What does this mean? It means that marriage is not ultimate. Marriage is penultimate. Marriage is not the best state of existence. If it were so, we would all be married in heaven. Marriage is about something much more profound. Marriage is about something much more profound than human fulfillment. Marriage points us to a far greater reality, and it points us to the love relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, the Apostle Paul says these words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Once this reality, once this world is over, there's no more need for human marriage, and that's because even the best human marriages fall woefully short. And all marriage is meant to point us to the glorious reality that Jesus Christ has extravagant love for his bride, the church. And he loves her with a sacrificial, dying, never-ending, perfect love. If you're a Christian this morning, you are part of the bride of Christ. Nothing sexual here at all, but you're part of the bride of Christ which means that you are loved sacrificially and unconditionally by Jesus Christ himself, which means that all of your sins can be removed and you can be reconciled to God Almighty. Jesus made all this possible through his life and his death and his resurrection. And this also means that the greatest joy we experience in our earthly marriages and there's a lot of joy in marriage in this life, but even the greatest joy we experience is a small foretaste of the joy we'll experience for all eternity in our glorified resurrection bodies as we are relating to the perfect bridegroom, Jesus Christ, serving him as the bride. So in summary, singles are not inferior. Singleness is a gift. Singles can be content. Singles can still have family and everyone will be single in heaven someday. What should you do if you're single? Use your freedom to serve the church of Jesus Christ. Volunteer in the nursery. Attend a home group. Serve on the greeting team. Serve on the production team. There's all kinds of ways you can serve. Offer to watch some kids of some parents that probably need a much needed break. What should you do if you're married? Make an effort to get to know the singles in this church. Reach out to them and don't just use them for childcare. Invest in them relationally. I would love it if we had community groups filled with married couples and singles, learning from one another, serving one another. And what should we all do in the meantime? Practice the art of divine contentment, no matter what station of life God has placed us in. Let's pray together.